ADP has your back with ADP Marketplace, a digital HR storefront. Be a more trusted advisor to your clients by recommending apps to help streamline HR processes and free up time to focus on people. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, ADP Marketplace, later in the episode. I think the accounting industry might skew a little towards Republican, a little. So I'm going to say it's like 58% Republican. Well, you're very close. 55% of accountants plan to vote for Donald Trump and 38% plan to vote for Joe Biden. 7% are voting for someone else. I assume that's going to be somebody libertarian. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClockShark. ClockShark is the leading GPS time tracking and scheduling system built for local construction and field service companies that want a simpler way to track time, run payroll, and understand job costs. With the capabilities of crew tracking, scheduling, job site geofencing, teams and project segmentation, automatic labor allocation, budgeting, and reporting, ClockShark has built a robust mobile time tracking system to handle the unique challenges that face your clients. With ClockShark, your clients can keep accurate records like overtime, paid time off, unpaid time, hours per job, and task as well as the crucial data needed for certified payroll. With the integrations ClockShark has, you'll be able to connect to one of many ADP payroll platforms through ADP Marketplace and process payroll in minutes with a click of a button. ClockShark's pricing starts at just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ClockShark. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Smancha. The line between a successful business and a bankrupt one is often how much cash they have in the bank and how long they are able to remain cash flow positive during challenging times. Keeping an eye on your client's cash flow is now more important than ever. Smancha integrates with QuickBooks Online and Xero to help put an end to cash flow problems. By using daily, weekly, and monthly forecasts, cash flow calendars, and powerful customized what-if scenarios, you can visualize your clients' finances in clear and intuitive ways so you can take action and reshape their cash flow by getting them funding with one simple application. Smancha identifies when extra cash is needed and can match your clients with multiple financing options via more than 50 screened lenders, and you can advise on the best offer suited to your clients' needs. Just for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Smancha is offering its fully functional, unlimited company's license for free until August 31st, 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Smancha. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-M-A-N-S-H-A. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. So David, what were you up to this weekend that we are recording on Monday morning? I went up to Phoenix for my sister's 40th birthday party. And obviously, like you're in Phoenix, I'm in Phoenix. But for those of you that aren't familiar with Phoenix, I was still like 55 miles away from Blake, (laughs) even though we're in the same city. (laughs) Phoenix is like the state, it feels like. It just goes forever. And I I still haven't like explored even a tiny fraction of it. Yeah. and, And to try to like... Oh, yeah, sure, Blake. Let's try to connect and record in person. Like, it just wasn't logistically going to happen. So that completely got scrapped. And that, here we are Monday morning. And I am really excited because I have some good news, a good news story this week to share with you, which is all about the new businesses that are starting up amidst all the shutdowns that are happening. Creative destruction is something that happens in a downturn where businesses that can't 
survive, go out of business, which creates opportunities for new ones to spring up. We can talk about that. I don't know what what's on your plate, David. We could try to touch the New York Times article that came out about <laughs> Trump's taxes, but like, it literally took 50 minutes to read the article. And I don't even know how to, like, I don't even know where to start digesting it. it. It's a gigantic article that came out. To be honest, I haven't read the article, but I could give you my hot take on it without having read it. You know, we'll pretend that we're on Twitter okay. and like people don't read the articles. It's just <laughs> the a headline. Also, I'll give you that. I have a survey of accountants and who they plan to vote for. So since we're talking politics, we're getting close to the election. Maybe we can successfully do that without alienating our entire listener base. A ransomware attack, big ransomware attack against BlackBod possibly one of the biggest ransomware attacks that we've ever talked about. And then I've got a, just a ton of updates. I know that QuickBooks released their new e-commerce solution that's built into QuickBooks Online. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. What else? You you posted something about an API that is really interesting, change to QuickBooks with recurring transactions. Oh, yeah. Thank you for reminding me about it. I totally forgot I did that. That's the way this week's gone. Yeah. Well, I've been, you know, I've been following you. I've been trying to keep up with all your happenings. You're a busy guy. (laughs) And we have some reviews, right? We got um, a couple of voicemails that we got to get to. And we got some reviews. Let's knock out the reviews really quick because one of them is pretty funny. Okay. Let's do it. So, this is a five-star review from Daniel Sears. This is on um, Podchaser. Not a bot. My twin brother is totally a bot. Very smart commentary. That's his review. Simple as that. (laughs) I love it. Short and sweet. Thanks, Daniel, if that is your real name. Our second review is from Tyler Trenda. Five stars, new to the field. I'm just starting out in the accounting bookkeeping field and looking to start my own small bookkeeping business. The Cloud Accounting Podcast has been a great way to get up to speed with the current events happening in the accounting space. I've sent a couple emails out to Blake directly, and he has responded promptly and provided invaluable knowledge to me Love the show, and I'm always listening at work. Awesome. Thank you, Tyler. And I'd actually saved a couple of emails from Tyler just in case we needed something to talk about. Like, um, I, I think those were some great questions. Tyler was asking if there are any certifications he should look into getting beyond the QuickBooks Pro Advisor program. Should he, having an associate's degree in accounting, and being a certified QuickBooks Pro Advisor, should he look into getting the certified bookkeeper license? Now, I'm aware of that license. And I actually, at the very beginning of my bookkeeping career, considered doing that. I did not because then I ended up taking that long, arduous path to the CPA. But I'm curious to know if anyone out there is a certified public bookkeeper who's listening, and if you have any thoughts on that. And if you do, maybe you could give Tyler some advice. So, if you want to call and and let us know what you think. We have a voicemail number. It's a Google voice number. Go straight to voicemail. You can call it. And that number is 202-695-1040. 202-695-1040. Give us a call. We'll take a listen. And, and we might even play it on the air. Do you want to talk PPP really, really quickly? Yeah. I saw there was a few updates. So, let's, let's, let's quiz you, Blake. <laughs> Uh-oh. How many, how many PPP loans have been forgiven to date? Oh, I mean, probably not many, right? I think most people are holding off on forgiveness. What would be your guess? Because there's been millions of loans, right? Yeah. So, what's your guess? Uh, maybe a few hundred thousand? Zero? <laughs> zero. zero sound? I filled out my paperwork and I still haven't heard back. So, I guess I'm not the only one. What, what's going on? So, some lenders are accepting people's applications. Right. But the Treasury Department and the SBA, they're just not, none of them have officially been forgiven yet. I, I think the one of those stalls, I think we're going to, you know, Right. See this 
automatic rubber stamp forgiveness because they obviously don't have the program procedures to do it. And then the reality is, if you think about it, if there's going to be some other, there's going to be another round of stimulus, right? right? It might be, it'd probably be post-election, but there's going to be another round of stimulus and they'll have to deal with that. They're not going to be able to have time to deal with the forgiveness application. So I just don't see it happening. Yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, One more small update about PPP. The IRS has notified lenders that they should not file cancellation of debt information returns or furnish payee statements to report the amount of qualifying forgiveness with respect to covered loans made under the Paycheck Protection Program, which in plain English means that you are not going to get a 1099-C for the forgiven PPP loans uh, because that could cause people to report that as income. And we all know that the PPP forgiveness is not taxable, although they still have not addressed the taxability of the expenses or the deductibility of the expenses yet, I don't believe. So that would probably be another thing in that stimulus package that will someday arrive. Okay, let's talk about good news. Is it insane to start a business during coronavirus? Millions of Americans don't think so. That is the headline in a Wall Street Journal article that made me feel good for once talking about the economy. Apparently, the data shows that Americans are starting new businesses at the fastest rate in more than a decade, seizing on pent-up demand and new opportunities after the pandemic shut down and reshaped the economy. We know this because applications for EIN, employer identification numbers that you need if you want to start a business and pay people. Or a file for a PPP loan. <laughs> or, or get a PPP <laughs> loan. Uh, yeah, that could be distorting things. I don't know. Uh, but let's keep on, let's keep positive here. We have passed 3.2 million so far this year compared with 2.7 million at the same point in 2019, according to the US Census Bureau. So more businesses are being started. Now, admittedly, small business revenue overall is down. It's down 21% as of mid-September versus January levels. But there, there are people who are figuring out how to navigate this new economy and new buying behaviors. Now, there's a baker who looked into buying a bakery and couldn't afford it, didn't have the capital, and due to the coronavirus, was able to lease commercial space for just $350 a month, started her own bakery, bought an espresso machine, places packed every day. There is a fitness founder who had a publicity business. She was a a publicist and started an online fitness studio that holds classes, uh, attracts instructors that were holding free classes on Instagram Live, it's now a, a platform, has created a platform for online workouts. Uh, there's a guy who uh, was a personal trainer, a fitness trainer, who realized that his business was not going to survive if the gym's closed. So he started a bike repair business. So now he's like busy every single day going out and, and fixing bikes, which we, we know are much more popular now because uh, people don't want to take public transit. And Super demand for exercise. bikes. Yeah you, yeah, yeah, you can't get bikes anywhere. So, so obviously, if you can't buy bike, new bikes... There's a totally a business market for fixing old bikes. Yep. Uh, and, and the last one, which is one of my favorites, is a woman who had a job as a school-based therapist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that looked uncertain as the school started to close. So she created a plan in April and May, and then by June had completed the requirements to become a licensed clinical social worker and pivoted to doing telehealth, which is growing, right? People don't want to go to the, go to the people in person. like They want to do it on Zoom uh, or the HIPAA compliant version of that. And so she has a thriving telehealth practice consulting with people as a clinical social worker. So my takeaway from this is it's it's not just great for the economy. I think there's going to be a lot of accounting firms that serve these new small businesses. And those are going to be the ones that really take off 
as the virus recedes in the next two years. I, I just think that's like something positive. Um, you know, if we can support those new business models, the e-commerce type business models, the telehealth business models, right? This is all innovative and it's all happening very quickly. So it's and this all- is why I've always felt like Intuit, like historically, has been recession proof. And yes. so what we'll probably see is in Intuit's numbers and in Zero's numbers and probably FreshBooks numbers, all these entry level accounting package numbers, you're going to probably see a bump in the numbers because when people can't get jobs, they start businesses because you have no other option, right? And actually, it's why the accounting profession as a whole, right, the service providers, are very recession-proof too. There's some new numbers courtesy of CPA trend lines about job levels in the accounting world and and broken down by different types of firms. Overall, the accounting profession is down 2% for the year, which that's a lot of jobs, right? Uh, But way better than the overall economy. Staff employment is down 4.7%. So if you have a CPA they call them accounting professionals, but given it's CPA trend lines, I think that means in the survey that you have a CPA license. It's not quite clear to me. But anyway, if you have a CPA license, you're you're pretty insulated from this. Uh, employment at CPA firms is only down 1.2%. Tax prep services down 1.4%. Now, payroll services, they took a big hit. They are down 13.5% for the year. Now, they went up a bit in August, almost 2% in August, but still down 13.5% for the year. That's Makes sense, right? A lot of businesses closing, not running payroll. A lot of less volume. Right. Restaurants, right? All that stuff. Bookkeeping down 1.2% for the year. So the same as CPA firms. And they broke out this by women, just women in accounting overall. Jobs are down 2.2% for the year. So a little bit, 10% worse than the overall profession. Now in CPA firms, it's only down 0.5%. So they've actually, women in accounting have weathered the storm better if I'm reading this survey correctly, uh, assuming they're working in a CPA firm. That's my economic news of the week. We can talk politics. We can talk this survey about accountants before we jump into app news. If, if, if you don't think it's too hot button, like, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't touch it. Maybe we should avoid it. You know, I, I don't have anyone to talk politics with. I know I sent you the text of the article yesterday, but as soon as like, I saw it on social media start coming through and everybody started posting it on Facebook. All the accounts, but it was showing up in all the groups. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a big deal. So then I was like, all right, let's go see what this is. And I didn't realize that it's a New York Times story that for 45 minutes on your phone, you keep scrolling. Same story. It's not like, <laughs> it's like TikTok where you just scroll and it's 15 seconds, you move on to the next thing. It is a gigantic four year investigation by the New York Times looking at. 15 years of Trump's tax returns from some of them, they actually have the real returns. Some of them are working backwards from other public information that's out there. And they're reconst- almost like a forensic type experience, right? They're recreating right. all the data. And the article is actually super, super hard to completely understand. Um, I mean, the gist of it is, is there's many years he did not pay any income tax, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the way the game a little bit, right? You know, I'll take out a $100 million loan, spend the whole thing on a building. Well, that is $100 million of expenses, right? right. And the, but, but there are trends. Some of the things I saw in the trending was that he's in about three years, he he has a lot mortgages that are come due. Yes. For I, these golf courses and stuff that are not making money still. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the thing that's most interesting to me that kind of got buried in all this because the the top level conversation, which is not productive or helpful is on the left criticism. Donald Trump paid 40 times less taxes than I did as a contestant on Jeopardy. Seven, he paid $750 in taxes the year that he won the presidency. Now, on the other side, 
it's actually a lot of tax preparers, a lot of experts saying, well, yes, of course, because you are allowed to offset your income with losses. So this is this is how the system works. He's not doing anything wrong. Everybody does this. And and you know, people who support Donald Trump are saying this is a, what an intelligent person should do. Uh, and then, of course, what is missing in all this is what you pointed out, which is like, well, the reason he has the losses is because he has the hundreds of millions of dollars of debt that are coming due. And that, you know, I don't care about the tax situation. That's the tax system is the way it is. You know, avoid taxes if you can. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we shouldn't go back to what happened in the Great Depression when, you know, FDR and and, and his cronies went after all of the wealthy people in the country saying that tax avoidance was unethical. This has happened before, by the way. Anyway, it's the, yeah, it's the fact that there's all those millions of dollars of loans that are coming due that kind of concern me a little bit. Because Well, I think this is an article. I think that is it's this like he's more of a tax genius and how to play the tax game genius, maybe in less of a businessman genius. Well, it's right? not Donald Trump's a tax genius. Is he has really good accountants, good. you know? <laughs> Right, he he pays for really good advice. Right, like they they minimize his tax liability. They help him avoid legally all the taxes that he's entitled to avoid. And, and I mean, it's not he's not hiding behind this either. I mean, he he said that in the debate with thing with Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that I'm very proud that I've you know maximized my tax burden or and lack of tax burden as he should be. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Right, <laughs> fix the tax code if you've got a problem with it. Don't go after high earners for taking advantage of the situation. So. Um, that's just my hot take. Of course, I haven't read the article, so I could be completely off base here. Uh, this is going to be this is going to be the news all week. Like this is a gigantic story. Um, Kelly Herbs, uh, tax girl on Twitter, she wrote a Forbes article, "The Ordinary Taxpayer's Guide to the Extraordinary Story of Trump's Tax Returns." So she kind of breaks it down a little bit more in layman's terms, right? So if you don't have time to read the forty-five minute article, I'd say go to her article mm-hmm. and look at that. And she. It, it, it's even with reading that it's still kind of all over the place. Um, the nice thing is she kind of shows other historical stories or articles she wrote in the past links to those. Uh, but at the bottom, she, I liked her little summary here. Quote, I'm reminded of something that departing IRS dash CI chief Don Fort used to stress. Voluntary compliance is the basis of our tax system and no one is above the law. So David, I, this might be a good chance to transition into, you know, who, who we plan to vote for or, Maybe if we don't want to discuss that, who accountants plan to vote for? Do you have any idea what the polls say? If if you haven't peeked at my, I, I my have notes not peeked. Yet. I have not peeked. Um, who the accountants plan to vote for? Yes. Okay. So, but in theory, right now the country is very, very, very. We've been very split for a long time. I think the accounting industry might skew a little towards Republican, a little. So I'm going to say it's like 58 percent Republican. You're, well, you're very close. of accountants plan to vote for Donald Trump, and 38% plan to vote for Joe Biden. 7% are voting for someone else. I assume that's going to be somebody libertarian. So, that is according to a survey by the parent company of Accounting Today, survey of over 400 accountants. Doesn't surprise me because we know that accountants tend to be more conservative, at least that's my experience. Why wouldn't we be, you know, given that the Republican Party has branded itself and policy-wise is, you know, the party of small businesses and accountants generally serve uh, small businesses. Uh, so, what what's interesting about this is, uh, let's see, party registration is 48% Republican among accountants, 23% Democrat, and 27% independent. And that is different than the national because national is very split. National, it's more like uh, 40-40. So, I question the, the logic in this. 
So if we vote in Donald Trump, chances are taxes aren't going to change too much, tax policies, right? Which means there's kind of less work for you as, an, as a tax professional. But if you vote in Biden, he's going to reverse things that ta- Trump did. There's going to be a new tax code. There's going to be new laws to learn, which means it's more engagements from your clients. You're going to make more money. Like It seems like accountants are not being very logical with their wallet. They should always vote for the other person like every single time. Well, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're being completely opportunistic about it, right? But I, I, this is something that uh, as a CPA that I, I find interesting is that like, people don't go into accounting because they're looking for the easiest job. They they get into it for very different reasons, and I so I think that the the Republican support and the support for Trump, as you pointed out, is a lot of it is to do with taxes, uh, and and many people are concerned that if uh, Joe Biden wins, that he's going to raise taxes, and that's going to be bad for business. And although it might be good for accountants to have changing laws, I think they're they're really voting in sympathy with their clients and with the businesses that they work for. In that, I think Trump is going to be better for small businesses, excluding the whole coronavirus thing, which is, that's the thing that is dominating my vote. Like, so I've, I've said this before, I believe on the show, I'm a Republican. I have, I started the Young Republicans Club at my high school. Yeah. So it's kind of like I was born into it, right? My, my parents were uh, neocons and Clinton was a bad word in our house when I was growing up. It's, it's tough for me personally as, as, a, as a Republican, because I've never been a Trump supporter. And I think the whole coronavirus response has been just awful. And that is worse for small business, I think, than the potential tax increases. So it's like with the with the whole discussion around the tax return, I feel like the whole conversation in this country at the top level is like on all the wrong things. It's possible, for instance, that we can have a virus that is deadly that we need to control, but also that lockdowns, Conian lockdowns that I fled in California are not effective. Both can be true, but there is no party for that. Right, it's like we're so extreme. There's no compromise, and I, I find that frustrating. Rhonda Abrams wrote a op-ed article for USA Today. So she's a USA Today uh, columnist. She has her own company called The Planning Shop. She's all about business plans, business planning, you know that type of stuff. And she's been around a long time. She's done. A, I think she has a column inside the Costco magazine as well. If you if you get, get that magazine, she does a small business column in there. But she wrote an art, uh, an op-ed about um, if your small business died, blame Trump, and she really breaks down every one of the policies. So you have the PPP and you have the loan programs because they weren't grants. And she breaks down every one of these and kind of makes an argument how that plan wasn't focused on small business. That plan, that that part of the stimulus was not focused on small business. And she really breaks down everything that's been done so far truly has not been set up to help small the smallest businesses, right? And then she points back to the latest numbers from Yelp that we talked about last week or the week before, you know, 73,000 businesses are going to be closed for good. You know, the stimulus bill, if we go to that, that was a collaboration between Pelosi and Mnuchin. That was a bipartisan thing. Now, they may be deadlocked on the next set, but like if there are problems with the stimulus bill, both parties deserve the blame for that. And, uh, you know, I do believe that the biggest problem for small businesses in the biggest states like New York and California is due to shutdowns, being unable and prevented from making a living by the government. This has never happened before in the history of our country where we have simply said to businesses, you must stay closed. You cannot go to work. You cannot earn a living. It's like, I I personally, like I'm not a, a constitutional lawyer, but I feel like this should be unconstitutional. You know, you can't just have an ongoing pandemic that just goes on for months and months and months, maybe years and pe- prevent people from earning a living. One of the reasons I left California, you mentioned that Yelp 
data, it's like one in six restaurants are going to close and not reopen. In California, it's double. They're predicting one in three restaurants will close and not be able to reopen. And why is that? Because of the different measures that are being taken, the controls. And it's horrific. There's no party for me. You can join the largest party in Arizona, which is the independent party. I think I might have to. Are you an independent party guy? Yes. Oh, you are? Okay. I feel like it is the small businesses that get caught in the middle of all this, right? Anyway, I was trying to start this whole show with, you know, a positive story. But positive story. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's show up in our reviews again. Uh, well, you know, hey, look, you know, let us know what you think. Um, we try to be reasonable here. We want to hear your feedback. You want to talk about ransomware since we're in, we're in yeah, let's jump this on world? Okay. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ADP Marketplace. How can you be a more trusted advisor for your clients as they face new challenges? By recommending solutions from ADP Marketplace, ADP's digital HR storefront. With ADP Marketplace, clients can try, buy, and implement highly rated HR apps that can share data with ADP. With secure data integrations, it's easy to streamline HR processes and adapt to new business needs. Help your clients discover new ways to recruit and onboard employees, boost performance, offer unique financial wellness benefits, and much more. And with integrations for popular business software like Expensify, PayActive, Slack, and ClockShark, clients can add value to the tools they already use by simply and securely connecting them to ADP. Have clients in field service or construction? ClockShark can help them track time to quickly and accurately run payroll, all integrated with ADP. Visit ADP Marketplace at apps.adp.com or right from your Accountant Connect dashboard. Not set up with Accountant Connect? Sign up today. It's free. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ADP. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash ADP. ADP has your back with ADP Marketplace. So there, there are uh, worse things that could happen to your to you as a business, I suppose, than even a lockdown. It is a massive ransomware attack. BlackBod, which is a maker of cloud software for not-for-profits, they don't use this term, but I would you know consider them to be like an ERP provider. They provide like full comprehensive cloud solutions, fundraising, financial management, all that stuff to not-for-profits. As of Thursday, more than three dozen BlackBod-related health data breaches affecting about 6 million individuals had been posted to the Department of Health and Human Services HIPAA breach reporting tool website. It is commonly referred to as the, quote, wall of shame, unquote. And businesses are required to list health data breaches there, impacting 500 or more individuals. Why is this happening? It's because BlackBod, back in May, suffered a ransomware attack where their database was hacked and stolen. They started notifying their customers in June and July, which actually was late. Now there are 10 lawsuits against BlackBod. And, and it's, it's significant because there's a lot of hospitals and healthcare providers that use their software. Interestingly, little detail in here, it was a ransomware attack. Apparently, BlackBod paid the ransom, but they, but they have no proof that the data was actually deleted. They're just believing that the hackers deleted the data after they paid the ransom. You can't trust them. Yeah. <laughs> you can't trust the hacker. You, you, that's the, the, this is that, that fine line of like, do you just always refuse to pay the ransom because you can't trust that they're going to give her the data. But if you're locked and you can't access the data yourself, it yeah. goes back to that having backups, offsite backups, multiple backups. Yep. Well, and this is why it's, you know, so lucrative to be, to do ransomware, right? Because uh, companies have to do it. They, they go out of business if they didn't, right? They have to get their data back. So that is, 
I think a good, maybe a good point to kick off app news. Yeah, I can transition this as well because I have a fraud story that's really to app news. So Shopify, so they had a blog post and they stated that two quote unquote rogue employees have stolen data for, and they say less than 200 merchants. So they've launched an investigation, they've contacted the FBI. And so two members of their support team apparently were in a, involved in a scheme to take transactional records from individual customers, which would be small businesses that sell on the Shopify platform. Who knows what they were doing with this data? They were selling it to somebody. Was Amazon buying it? Nobody knows. So it's being investigated. But I was actually surprised that Shopify, like how um, upfront they were about it. Didn't they just put it out there? Well, it's not even a blog post. It feels like this is a community board of mm. Shopify. And the Shopify staff put it out there and they talked about this. Now, there's not, it's not a lot of clarity as far as have they told everybody about this, right? Is this going to be affected by GDPR and, and some of those other policies that are out there? But the fact that they communicated it and... The thing is, remember, if one of the things that people are accusing Amazon of, let's say you sell hip pouches on Amazon. They see your sales of hip pouches. They know all about how many hip pouches you sell a week, blah, 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 blah. And then Amazon all of a sudden starts Amazon Basics and they're selling a hip pouch. And it looks just like yours. It looks just like yours. And they control the search words and you're just done. And so obviously this data at the merchant level is super, super valuable. Now, what, who they were stealing this for, who they're, what they plan on doing. Maybe they were just targeting yoga mat sellers and they're going to open up a yoga mat business, but nobody, there's no details at any level. But this is a little scary, right? Everybody's worried about hackers, but without the internal employees. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, we, we, you mentioned Shopify. Let's talk about QuickBooks Commerce. Remember in, um, Intuit six weeks ago? Was it eight weeks ago? They acquired Trade Gecko. And Trade Gecko is like an e-commerce, omni-commerce automation platform for inventory management, e-commerce sellers. They've rebranded it. So if you go to tradegecko.com today, it immediately flips and it has a banner. It says Trade Gecko is now QuickBooks Commerce. So it's completely rebranded. Not only is it rebranded, like the marketing pages, the whole product has been reskinned. I've never seen a rebrand add into it happened this fast. Yeah, I was surprised because the acquisition was announced. And then, like you said, six weeks later, we've got the product integrated in the app. So obviously, this was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's not integrated. It's not integrated into QuickBooks. It's still a standalone product. Like, but it, but they skinned it. It looks and tastes like QuickBooks Online. Oh, so you, do you access it though inside of Quick? You don't access it inside of QuickBooks Online. I there might be like a launch point possibly. Okay, that I do, that I'm not clear on, but it's it's still a separate. It's just been rebranded and Got reskinned, it. right? So it looks and tastes like QuickBooks Online. Um, I, like I said, I've never seen this happen so quickly with a, with a with an acquisition like this. <laughs> um, and and it's so the it was so good that the vast majority of people out there on the interwebs thought Intuit launched a brand new product. Wow, that's that's good marketing there. So they they've done a very very good job about this 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 launch and release and we'll see where it goes next. Um, it's a good sign though that that they they redid this. I remember years ago I was at Intuit and they there was Digital Insight which was like it was a company that Intuit bought and that company actually provides software for banks and credit unions and smaller FIs. And Intuit bought that company. And like five years later, they still didn't have their email addresses working with us <laughs> with Intuit, right? And so it's amazing when you see an integration take place like this. The other thing I thought was really interesting, I was thinking about this Trade Gecko thing. So Trade Gecko is based in Singapore. And I, my understanding is that's like the next battleground for cloud accounting. Like 
like Zero's doubling down there, right? And so I wonder how much of this acquisition, just just kind of how Zero acquired HubDoc, because it gave them a good foothold in the North American market. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this is also for a way for Intuit to get a foothold in Asia. In Asia. Well, one more quick QuickBooks update. They've made recurring transactions now available to third-party apps in the API. And David, you got really excited about this on Twitter. Explain why. It's personal reasons. So we in Melio, and, and a lot of developers want this. If your app, so for example, Melio, Melio will let you create recurring payments. So if I have to pay somebody every single month, you want to create that bill payment, right? And have it sync to QuickBooks. It doesn't sync too well. And the reason why is QuickBooks never had the API, API calls available for a developer to write that. And now a developer can go and create recurring transactions right inside of QuickBooks instead of you having to manually create them outside of the app you're using. It's just a super huge thing that developers have asked for for a very, very long time. So it's good to see like developers get support to make their apps better because that saves everybody time. I could see this being super helpful because uh, one of my one of my biggest problems was exactly that what you mentioned having to manage the recurring transactions outside of the GL. I would always have my clients' regular payments when I managed their bill pay entered as a recurring bill because if the bill didn't come in in the mail, then I wanted to make sure we still paid it. Right? We didn't get a late notice, or if something happened and we were using Earth Class Mail to scan the mail, and then you know there can be issues. Right? It doesn't get scanned. What yada yada, but we always had problems because we were managing the recurring transactions outside of QuickBooks or Zero, and now you can actually like just manage that inside, or right, it'll just be more efficient. It'll be more like foolproof. That's great. Yep. So let's talk about Zero. Some quick updates from Zero. You now get page breaks in reporting in Zero, and this is global. So this is one of those little things that I think has annoyed folks for a long time, not being able to control page breaks. In reports, I think I remember people in QuickBooks complaining about this as well. Um, so now you can do that on your layouts. You can get the reports looking exactly how you want when they when they go to PDF. You can also now use e-signature on documents in Zero HQ. So you can assemble a package of documents and uh, upload a bunch of PDFs into Zero HQ, which is their like client management that's built into Zero, and then you can uh, send those to your clients to get them e-signed. So it could be perhaps a set of financial statements, a tax return, whatever you want. And that's that's now built in and that's been available to zero tax users in Australia, uh, now going global. FreshBooks buys Mexico-based digital invoicing firm Facturama, F-A-C-T-U-R-A-M-A. I don't know if you understand how invoices work in Mexico. Uh, I know that they have to go through the government. They have to get stamped or something. They have a special uh, QR code basically in the corner of all of these and both the um, the person sending it and the request and then the person paying. So then when it's paid, you have to include the same barcode. It's super, super complicated. And I know that in the past Intuit's partnered with somebody to work on QuickBooks Online. So their invoices are compliant. So it looks like now FreshBooks is making a, a jump down into Mexico. Interesting. Um, so in the fact that they purchased a firm's like it's you know they're, they're serious right you're not going to do that if unless you've already made the decision we are going after that mm-hmm. market mm-hmm. right and so that's going to be another battleground here is in Mexico yeah FreshBooks has jumped down there some quick payroll updates OnPay has released a custom report builder where you can build a custom payroll report using up to 50 data points from your payroll and HR data I love this when developers do this. Because the stock reports are inevitably not exactly what you need and you end up having to export to Excel. So anytime you can do a custom report 
like this should be default. <laughs> Every everybody should have this. Please, if you're a developer and you're listening, allow for us to build custom reports. Well, especially for payroll, because by default, the payroll reports are great for the payroll clerk who's allowed to see all that data. Right. But as soon as you need to run a report for some department head or a department or a different, you know, or maybe a, for the board or somebody else, there's a lot of details in payroll you don't want in the report. Exactly. <laughs> if you exactly. don't have control over that, what are you going to have a, a black, you take a black marker and black up? Probably what you do, right? You're like, okay, they're oh. not allowed to see this data. I'll just scratch that off the report and just give them this. Continuing on with payroll, WagePoint, another payroll provider in the cloud, has taken on $10 million in new capital from Providence Strategic Growth. And Inflow, a data analytics company, has introduced WorkPapers, a new audit module for end-to-end external digital audits, which I'm sure are growing when you can't go to the office. Digital audits. Yes. And actually, I have a story. I don't know if we'll get to it this week. It's been kind of buried in my notes, um, all about the new audit evidence standard. I know, I know this is riveting to you, David, but um, it's a story <laughs> from the AICPA about how they have created a new audit evidence standard for uh, private companies that allows for non-human evidence collection. They are specifically saying it is okay to collect data you know, using bots or robots or AIs or whatever it is, or just systems. Uh, and the PCAOB which regulates the audits of public companies, is considering revising their audit evidence rule as well to do the same. This is stuff that should have happened a long time ago, but uh, coronavirus is now putting that into the forefront and making it finally happen. So Avalara has some uh, alcohol-related news. So Avalara, who's the you know sales tax compliance, right? So they're in the compliance game. But then Avalara also has, I don't know if you ever heard about Avalara's corporate headquarters. They have like a tiki bar, right, inside the facility. So uh, Avalar has some double, they have double expertise here. They have expertise <laughs> in alcohol and they have expertise in the uh, compliance. So they've, they've released a new product called Avatax Beverage Alcohol. And it basically has compliance solutions for wineries, distilleries, breweries, importers, retailers, right? And not only does it keep track of all the sales tax and use case and all that, because now you can, a lot of with COVID, right? Shipping alcohol has been a little bit easier. Moving alcohol is a little bit easier. They've lowered some restrictions, but you still have to comply. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, th- it's interesting because they've released this, but it's not just the tracking from the sales tax type and the reporting. From day one, like how to properly even register and maintain your state license. They assist you with that. Registering all your products because maybe your product has to be labeled properly or it has to have the, you know, in some states you have to, I think in the state of California, right? They always have that like, there's a separate uh, warning you always see on products in the state. Maybe you don't see this on the East Coast, but I definitely see it in Arizona. That's a special California warning. Oh, the like the cancer warning that's on everything in the state. Literally everything in California gives you cancer. <laughs> you know, every parking garage, every product. Yeah. So, so what I like what I like about this strategy, right, is yes, their expertise and ultimately their goal is to get you to to do tax remittances correct reporting and all that. But the fact that they're helping you get your business license set up properly, you're labeling, they're keeping you in compliance across all three things instead of just the tax compliance. And this goes back to what we talk about like with QuickBooks and having a small business bank account, like getting people like going correctly from day one is what these apps have to do and these companies have to do. Like don't let people start a QuickBooks business without a business bank account. Because mm-hmm. it's just better for everybody. It's better for them. It's better for the accounts and bookkeepers. Like, make them create a small business book account for free, a, check, a checking account, right, for free. Just, it's just kind of that same thing. Like, don't just help people file their taxes if they haven't labeled their alcohol correctly and they haven't even gotten their license set up correctly. 
So, David, we got five minutes left. I want to make sure we get to at least one of these voicemails. Okay. And this is app news related. So, we'll we'll end with this and we'll get to the next one next time. This is from Jackson Wilcox. Hey, Blake and David. This is Jackson Wilcox. I'm a financial advisor in Franklin, Tennessee, but I used to be a tax accountant and I still hold my CPA license. I've had your guys' podcast recently been really enjoying and I feel so caught up on the tech and what's happening that I feel like I could almost go out and start my own consulting business. But just wanted to comment on something you guys shared in the last uh, podcast about no-code tools. I don't know if you've ever talked about it, but there's one out there that's called Notion, and uh, it's really taken the world kind of by storm. And I recently used it for kind of a problem that my team was having, and uh, we were just really surprised with how easy it was to get everyone an account and everyone on the same page and having the document update simultaneously on you know, a desktop platform, an Android app, and an Apple app. So it's pretty cool. I think they're pretty large, but I do think they are privately held. But just wanted to throw that out there. Thanks so much. Appreciate what you guys do. So, David, have you ever used Notion? I, Melio just adopted it. I will be using oh, Notion yeah. this week for the first time, so I can report back out on that. That's awesome. So, I tried to get my last firm to use Notion for our cast practice as a way to create like an internal wiki. I could not, unfortunately, do that. It's part of one of the reasons I'm no longer in public accounting was my frustration with that. Uh, the way I would describe it is sort of like a Google Doc on steroids. It's like a bunch of documents that are collaborative where everyone can edit, but you can also hook in Zapier type of activities. There's automation, there's different types of data, and, and it, it's all these sheets tied together. So, you can create, if you ever ever used an internal intranet, think of that, but it's much easier for everyone to collaborate and update. And it's not a static thing. And it's a consolidation of tools, it looks like Notion is. So, you kind of have, it has a little bit of a, um, a Trello killer, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's attacking that. It's attacking this typical media wiki, right? You just have a wiki. Um, it, it's in a way, it's it's what, um, what was that Microsoft thing that Microsoft constantly pushed for years and everybody hated it? Um, not OneNote. No, not OneNote. They had, uh, and anybody who used it, it was like, you had to host it yourself. SharePoint? SharePoint. <laughs> it's like it's like everything that on paper SharePoint should have been, but it just it just never worked. It looks like Notion is, and there's other products like this. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. even think the 37 Singles, the Basecamp guys, have something kind of along the lines of this. Um, so it's very very interesting. But going back to No Code, remember last week we talked about Airtable's big raise. Yes. And we talked about oh yeah, and there's a rumor Google's going to have something to launch too. Well, they launched a new product called Tables, which is very similar. No code. It's like you're right, a spreadsheet on steroids. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of, a lot of accounts, like to, a lot of people use spreadsheets like a database, yep. but they don't connect very well to each other. Right. Not, not, and they do on a formula level, but not in that more of a database conceptual level. And so I think over the next year, I, I predict like accountants and bookkeepers are going to start loving Airtable, this product from Google. Microsoft has a product. There's a lot of these that are out there. These, they're just super, super powerful spreadsheets. Comparing Airtable Air and Notion, they're basically solving similar problems, but they're approaching it from different lenses. Notion goes through the lens of the document. Like think of you start with a Word document and you go from there to extend its functionality. Whereas something like Airtable starts with Excel and goes from there, from that spreadsheet main view. But you can dig down into fields and then you have a document. And with Notion, you can dig down from a document into a sheet. So It'll be interesting to see where they end up meeting in the middle. 
and what what wins? I like the idea of starting with the document just from a like a visual presentation standpoint. I can really organize my thoughts like it's a notebook. I think for a lot of us, and that's why OneNote is so powerful because it you think of it like a notebook. And it's something familiar to us and we can all understand that concept. But spreadsheets work really well for some people too. So anyway, David, if people want to touch base with you online in the meantime, between episodes, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, Easiest way is on Twitter. I'm at David Leary. Also on LinkedIn, at David Leary. And Blake, don't forget, on October 20th, we are going to be at joining the accounting and finance show virtual conference. It's October 20th and 21st. Um, We'll have a link in the show notes to register, but we are going to be doing a keynote on October 20th. And we'd love for all of you to join us. A live episode. So you can, uh, you know, type at us as we speak. That should be really cool. Maybe we'll we'll do some polls too. Uh, You can catch me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. If you connect with me on LinkedIn, just let me know you're not a bot. And David, uh, until next time, don't let those Zoom calls get you down. Bye everybody. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? With Client Hub, automate this process and get client answers instantly. Client Hub is a client communication platform that helps you consolidate client communication, securely share files, and instantly get answers and much, much more. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. Client Hub, frictionless client communication. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.